Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. Got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. And we've been kind of recording some podcasts that are a little bit different than our standard podcast recently. Just some different guests that have a different point of view in one respect or another. Typically, our podcast guests are college coaches. Occasionally, we bring in some pro coaches, occasionally some pro players. But today, we've got someone who just left the college baseball world recently. And uh, when I saw his note to, you know, just to kind of let the world on Twitter know that he was leaving his position, I, I sent him a message and just said, hey, this would be a good subject for us to talk about. I think it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, an interesting subject. And I, I think just, uh, you know, the thought of giving our guests our listeners an idea of um, you know what life is like as a college baseball coach particularly division one college coach was was interesting to me so we're being joined in this podcast by Joe Oliveira Joe spent a good bit of time as uh, as an assistant coach at San Diego State University but he recently resigned from that position and I'll give you some more details about Joe before we jump into questions with him he is currently the owner of Oliveira Baseball Consulting which is what he's doing now he's originally from San Diego California he played collegiately at the University of the Pacific he was a 15th round draft pick out of Pacific in 2010 spent several years playing in the Baltimore Orioles organization in 2013, the summer of 2013, he accepted his first coaching position in the Northwoods League. Uh, and from there, he went on to spend eight seasons at San Diego State. He worked with hitters, catchers, outfielders, coached third base. He's coached more than 30 MLB draft picks in his coaching career. He had multiple recruiting classes as the recruiting coordinator at San Diego State that were ranked in the top 25 nationally. His team went to four regionals in his time at San Diego State. He spent three seasons also in that time in the summers coaching USA Baseball's 14U SoCal NTIS team. That's a team that gets to, that, that gets together as kind of a regional team that uh, that goes and competes to try to try out basically for uh, for the USA Baseball 14U team. In June of 2016, I'm sorry, June 16th of 2021 is when he resigned officially uh, from his from the recruiting coordinator position at San Diego State which is obviously a Division One program in San Diego, California. Now with the Oliveira Baseball Consulting, he is a college advisor, uh, an expert in evaluation for players that are uncommitted and, and hoping to play beyond the high school level. He also still uh, you know, does a lot of skill development with players um, that, that he's working with. So, uh, Joe, I just want to thank you for being a part of the podcast today. I'm pretty excited to join to uh, talk about this stuff with you. Yeah, Jeff, I appreciate you asking and uh, for having me on. And, um, yeah, definitely excited to, to talk about my experience and, you know, hopefully help, help some coaches and give some insight to the profession and, and beyond. So I typically like to start with something from the bio that stands out for me. And, um, you know, for me, I guess one thing that just stands out for you just, just off the top, uh, a very basic thing, but you've spent your whole life on the field, um, you know, I, I imagine you started playing as a young kid, but obviously you played in college. You played pro ball. You went right from pro ball into coaching. You got a good job right away at a good Division One program. Um, and now you have spent the last just a couple of months. It hasn't been very long, but you spent the last couple months away from the field. Um, I, I'd like to talk first just about what that was like for you, even the decision-making process, Joe, to step away from, from on-field coaching which, you know, yeah. you're still involved in baseball, but it's a little bit different to be able to, you know, hit fungos every day, work one-on-one -on -one with guys every day, be around the team, be in the locker room with the guys, ride the bus, 
you know, be competing for wins and losses. Uh, and maybe that's something you're still kind of, uh, kind of processing. But I want to talk yeah. a little bit about that, just what that was like for you, the decision-making process to step away from the field at this time in your career. Yeah, great question. Uh, obviously, as a coach, that's that's sort of the addicting part. That's sort of the part that, that kind of keeps you going, keeps you motivated, be on the field with a group of guys. And, and obviously, this is a, a large decision and a lot of discussions and with a lot of people that I trust. And, you know, obviously, my wife, you know, being the most, I, I said to her, you know, probably a month before ultimately making it, like, you know, I'm honestly worried about not being a part of a team for the first time in my life. You know, you, you mentioned it, I've been playing since I was, you know, four years old all the way through and straight into coaching and always had a group of guys that I was a part of and shared a uniform with. And so that was a little bit scary for me. Um, and I kind of transitioned into this with the mindset of, you know, taking on my clients and families was sort of creating my own team a little bit and not necessarily on the field all working together, but sort of working individually with each of them. I, you know, I want that relationship that I had my field is, is the relationship part of it and interaction and, and helping improve them. So, you know, I kind of have the mindset where I'm, I'm sort of building my own team. My clients and families are, uh, you know, I, I, I want to create a family environment. That's what I always enjoyed as a player. And the, the best teams I was a part of kind of had that family atmosphere. So that's sort of the, the idea and the mission statement with my business model is, is sort of creating that family environment that, um, you know, those relationships that hopefully carry on for a lifetime. And, you know, like you said, just getting in the cage and getting on the field with, you know, with players is, right now is filling that that void for me and i'm sure i'll miss it more times and than others and um i've actually gone out teams here if i can just come out throw some bp and hit some fungos um of course they were welcoming which has been awesome and so um the college coaches i'm talking to too i'm like he's like hey i might just ask you to come throw bp one day just so i can get on the field and interact with your guys um so definitely looking to do some of that in the future i'm sure college baseball opening day next year will be tough for me to be sitting at home or uh you know following scores and stuff or i might just go to a game just to fill that fix but um to answer your question yeah obviously uh a very bold decision and that that was a huge part of it you know missing that on the field interaction with the players opening day you know fall for me when i left the fall season was difficult to a point um you know you miss being there and everything but but opening day was always it still is, honestly, it still is a difficult time just because, the, I mean, you, you do miss that competition. I don't think that's anything that, that's something that leaves anybody and no matter what age, even if you're somebody that's, that was involved in, 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 you know, as a 60, 65 year old or whatever, you decide that you want to retire. Like I, I can guarantee you that those people still miss, you know, being on the field and competing, uh, you know, anytime anybody walks away. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, players that play for a long time, play professionally for a long time and they walk away. I'm sure that they experience the same thing. Uh, just because you part of you feels like you could still be doing it or there are certain things about it you definitely miss, even if you've decided that the overall scene is, is something that you want to step away from. Um, Joe, I do want to talk a lot about, uh, I, I want to talk just about what it was like for you toward uh, I guess when, you know, what your life was like every day as the recruiting coordinator at Division One and, and that sort of stuff. But I also, I do want to ask you a little bit about your business now, uh, just to kind of give people an idea of what you're doing and, and how you're staying involved. And maybe someone's listening to this that, that might want to give you a call sometime even. 
uh, and not to give you a selfless plug or anything like that, but can you just, can you tell us a little bit about what you do exactly now, how you help families, how you help kids, you know, what your, what your goals are and, and what kind of student athletes you're working with at this point? Yeah, thank you. Obviously, it's something I'm excited about and um, would love to chat about. And, you know, my idea behind this was, you know, being on the other side of it as long as I was, you never really just blindly go to a game or you never just show up at a field not knowing who's there. It's all about, you know, a tip or someone you trust that's giving you a heads up on a guy. And, you know, you go to, to see that specific player or group of players. And so I just felt, you know, I, I really worked hard on the other side of it, earning some, some credibility. Um, and so I just felt like there was a hole I could fill just kind of being the middleman between a lot of clubs and families and college coaches. And, um, you know, first I start from the event. So, you know, when a client comes to me, I, I, I give them just an honest evaluation as a recruiting coordinator. This is where I see you. This is where you could possibly fit. This is what you probably need to work on to get to maybe another tier. And, help them develop that and get, give them maybe a development plan to get better. Cause every kid needs to get better. Some kids think they don't need to, um, but there's not very, there's not many players in high school baseball or junior college baseball that are ready to step in and help a D one or our college program win games. And so every kid needs to get better. And so that's kind of where I start from. And then I have each kid give me a list of schools and, you know, they either give them to me or I help kind of pick them. And I go down those lists of schools and I make sure those coaches know who they are and maybe give my kind of scouting report on them. And if it's there's a need or there's an interest, uh, we help build a relationship and get those schools out to see them, you know, get the player in front of them somehow and, and get feedback and, you know, get honest feedback. If I'm honest with these coaches, I, I, I hope that they're honest with me. And um, the yes or maybes, we, we move forward and we build a relationship and hopefully it's a fit. Um, the ones that are no's are, you know, Maybe they evaluate them below their level or they just don't have a need for that position in a class. At least we know it's a no, kind of move forward without any doubts or reservations. And so, and then hopefully get to the point where there's options on the table and, you know, sift through those options and, and help navigate through with what each offer means. The pros and cons of each school will go back to their original conversation about what the player told me they were looking for and obviously leave the decision up to them, but just kind of give all the input and advice um, that I've learned over the years and the other side of it to help them hopefully make the best decision and, and find a great fit um, where they're going to go spend three or four years and have a great college experience because that's really kind of what it's all about. And I don't want to stop when that when the player commits either. I want to continue to, to kind of be there and mentor them and be there for them and help them through the admissions process, you know, financial aid, academic aid, all the stuff that I dealt with for years. And, you know, just kind of be there for them when they're in school. If there's a situation that pops up, coaching staff or anything, I want them to, to feel free to call me and talk it through and then, you know, be a fan and follow them and watch them play and make sure they keep getting better and kind of just be there for, for whatever their needs are. And, um, you know, some unique situations, I have some players where, you know, they're getting close to a decision and then some agents and advisors are reaching out and kind of help connect them that way. I have a lot of relationships on that side as well. And, um, help them choose the, the right agency or advisor for them um, for, for future pro ball opportunities. So just kind of all-encompassing in a, in a player's baseball career to, to answer your question. It's a great service for people yeah. and families that need it because, <clears throat> you know, one of the reasons I started Figured Out Baseball was because I, I just thought there was a real lack of good advice out there for families. 
Um, and I and I wanted to provide some sort of resource, and it sounds like you're you're doing the exact same thing, uh, in, in a little bit of a different way, and obviously with different subject matters. You know, you you're very very focused, and your primary focus is on getting kids to the next level, helping them to figure out the recruiting process, which is a, a which is you know it's the jungle to a lot of people. Like they families that haven't gone through it before, um, and, and especially in families where like the parents maybe didn't play. Uh, collegiate sports, it's it's just the moon to them, and they just people don't know how to handle, they don't know how to interpret things, they don't know how quickly or slowly things should move. Um, you know, a lot of times I think people make rash decisions because they feel like they really need to rush or like this this offer's out there, and I'm not sure it's the best, but they're gonna pull the offer, so I gotta make a decision, and just to have somebody that they feel like they can trust that um, you know can help families make decisions, I think is is really, really valuable. Now, Joe, I don't know how much you know about other recruiting services out there. And, and again, not to ask you to talk negatively about anybody else, but just generally speaking, what are some things that you're doing differently than a lot of recruiting services? Uh, and I'll ask this primarily, so even if families don't want to reach out to you necessarily, maybe they have a better idea of what they should look for, ask for, um, and expect from, uh, you know, from, from any consulting that they're getting with with anybody that's trying to help a an uncommitted player to to be committed somewhere. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'll, I, I'm not going to speak negatively on anybody else because I really don't know the ins and outs on anything. And there's a lot of great guys and great companies that do this, and some were were very very helpful when I was kind of starting to dive into this. I reached out, and a lot were willing to kind of share what they do and give me some ins and outs. And you know, obviously, would love to return the favor and, and help them in the future, but. I just found there's there were not any that I know of that have come from the other side of it. You know, as a recruiting coordinator at a, at a D1 level that came to the other side and, and kind of filled this gap. And so there's just things that, you know, being on the other side that you have to experience to know kind of how it goes on, the, you know, the intricate CAA rules that are always evolving, just those conversations in the war room when, you know, you have the three guys that recruit on a coaching staff, you know, having a conversation about a player and, whether to offer, how much to offer, and um, just give insight to, to being inside, you know, that college coaching staff that, um, you know, coming to the other side of it can, can really help these families understand and give them the understanding of what those coaches are thinking and talking about and how they view kind of each player and how it fits into the program. And, and you know, I – was at that level and played against a lot of these programs and saw and follow them very closely and understand kind of what works in each program and what each coaching staff might be looking for. Everybody has their different styles. And so just helping connect and help players realize where the fit might be, um, you know, and just, you know, there's guys that do it at a very high level and do a great job. And I just felt like coming from the other side of it um, was a little unique to, to this profession as a whole that I could fill with it and, and give a unique perspective to it. I totally agree with that. And and again, that was another reason, of, you know, when starting figured out baseball, um, I just thought, you know, I wanted to bring all college. I wanted it. I wanted all of our content to be from college and pro guys, because that's ultimately yep. where, you know, our subscribers want to be, so let's hear from those people, whether it is about recruiting or whether it's on-field coaching or anything else. And I can't imagine anybody giving better advice uh, as far as guiding people through the recruiting process than someone who's just done it, you know, someone who's just been doing it from the other side, and you're able to hopefully fill in a lot of the gaps and, and answer questions that families have. Um, 
we, I'm sure we can talk about that, and I'm sure we will talk about later in this podcast about more about the Oliveira Baseball Consulting, Joe. Uh, but for right now, let, I want to talk a little bit of just go back to your days as a as a coach. Um, and and at the, can I ask you just at the beginning? Maybe we'll start from the beginning when you first started coaching. What goals did you have in mind at that time? Because I'd like to talk about just your progression as as you grew and matured. But when you first started yeah. coaching, what did you have in your mind? Where did you think you'd be? you know, maybe by, by 2025 or something along those lines when you first started out? Yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal was just become a Division One head coach, and that's kind of what drove me every day and the reason why I think I worked as hard as I did and, um, you know, wanted to do well and wanted to win and, and out recruiting, wanted to network and just talk to people and to learn. And, um, you know, I went and visited other programs at times and saw how, what they did and, was just just really hungry and I think I got into coaching at I think I was 25 when I was hired as recruiting coordinator at San Diego State and um yeah I think you know in my overall baseball career dream number one was to be a major league baseball player you know dream number two after that didn't happen was to be a division one head coach so um that was definitely the goal in mind and and why I kind of targeted you know, there was opportunities to, to maybe get in at lower levels, but I wanted to get in at the D1 level because that was the, the ultimate goal for me. Do you recall the first time that you had a thought that was contrary to that goal? Because I can remember specifically when that happened in my coaching career, but I don't know if you have that or not. But if you do, do you have a – either maybe, maybe you can remember a specific time when you had the first thought or maybe the first conversation you had with your wife or anything else. Do you recall when, when that started to change for you? Yeah, I think it. I think it was when my wife got pregnant, and it, it, it really hit me. And the the due date was June first, which you know, could have been a, a regional weekend. And and you know, just going back, I, you know, I said that the first two dreams, major league baseball player, division one head coach, that for me was going to trump all of those. And so fatherhood was going to come before then. And so you know, when we when my wife got pregnant, and it was a reality, and it was coming, and you know. It was for the pandemic, obviously, and it really hit me like I might have to miss a regional to you know, make sure I'm here at the birth. And it was a huge stretch for me. And obviously COVID happened in the dead period. Everything wiped out and I was able to be there. But that was the first time for me where it was like, whoa, like what my priorities really add and what do I really want my life to really look like? And um, I just kind of remember, you know, having that conversation with my wife like I, I maybe need to explore some opportunities and we that's when we kind of started brainstorming together when people hear this i'm sure they're also curious about what day-to-day life is like for a college baseball coach um you know it's different than pro ball certainly different than high school and, and i don't know that everybody people that, that haven't really experienced it understand what the daily life is like i i know that for me um you know, everywhere that I coached, I coached at five different colleges and everywhere I was, I, I wasn't maybe full-time like with benefits, but that was the only thing I did. Even if I didn't make very much, I shouldn't say that my first job I had, I did some other stuff, but from my second job through my last job, all I did was coach baseball. And if I, you know, I didn't make very much money, I would just use supplement it with lessons and things that, that all college baseball coaches do. But I would get questions every stop that I went to, like, what else do you do? And they'd say like, you know, what do you do? I'm a coach at such and such a college. Well, what else do you do? And it's like, no, no, that's, this is a full-time gig. I don't do anything yeah. else. I think people think yeah. it's like high school coaching, but can you tell people just what it's like? Like when you, 
when you first have that thought, like maybe I need to, I guess, sort of reorder my priorities or think about what my priorities are. You know, can you tell people what it's like day to day, week to week, month to month, you know, what it's like to be a division one recruiting coordinator and, and just what that life is like that a lot of people are out there like you that, that maybe think about doing something different when, especially when the fan, when kids come into the picture. Yeah. And I can, you know, break down the calendar of it, but it's basically your seven days a week for 11 and a half months out of the year. You maybe get a couple weekends off in December and those weekends you're probably maybe even working a camp or, you know, you're still on the phone with recruits. And so it's a, you know, obviously over full time and, um, you know, you really, you don't do it to count the hours. You do it, you know, for the love of it and the competitiveness of it and the relationships. But, you know, it is obviously a, a huge time commitment. And, you know, you start, you know, in January with, you know, team workouts. And, you know, we used to run a couple camps on weekends in January before we started. And then once practice starts, you're, you're practicing six days a week and that off day you're in the office, you know, scheduling practices and recruiting and meetings. And so, um, it's, it's, it's full days and, and, you know, there's no, and I, I happened to work for a great boss where he wasn't down the hours or telling us to be in the office at a certain time, but, you know, just kind of the way I was and the way I worked was, you know, I wanted to, to be there first and, and work hard and, and get after it and kind of do what I needed to do before our staff meetings. And, you know, during the season, you're, you know, you're playing Tuesday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, you're back in the office on Monday for then you have a Tuesday game, then you're practicing Wednesday, Thursday. And, you know, obviously that's kind of the, the bulk of the time during the season and that's going all the way through June. And then once the season wraps up, you're, you're full recruiting mode. And that's, there's something you can go to every single day there, there's something somewhere. And so, I was in a unique situation where, you know, my boss gave me kind of free reign to kind of go where I wanted to do what I wanted. Obviously, I ran everything by him, and so he was great with that. Um, and, again, I wasn't probably very good at picking and choosing. I was just go, 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 and trying to see as many players as I could, running campus visits and, and you know, communicating with as many talented kids as I could to see if they might be a fit. And you're doing that every day all summer and you know when you're not out recruiting you're at home you're on phone calls you're on zoom calls um you're doing all that and then while you're doing this you're you know preparing for the fall and for a new roster turnover to come in and you, you know as soon as recruiting stops that false you know students are moving in on campus and then you're starting all over again you're doing your fall season uh, same thing you're you're going seven days a week either with practice office time or recruiting and that runs pretty much all the way till Thanksgiving. Um, that's the way we did it, you know, being in San Diego with the good weather. Um, we can kind of push things back um, as far as we could. And then, you know, Thanksgiving was a week off, one of those weekends off. Um, and then you're back in the office afterwards and um, maybe running a couple workouts before finals started. Um, and then December, it sort of slows down. There's not, there's not practice. There's not recruiting because it's a quiet period, but, you know, you're still in the office game planning for the season. You're still meeting. You're still having campus visits, um, probably running a couple of prospect camps on the weekends, um, that kind of bookend Christmas. And, yeah, and then you're kind of full go again after the new year and, and doing the same thing over again. So um, that's kind of the breakdown of the, the full calendar. And, um, you know, obviously that's a lot. And it's it's hard to pick and choose the, the family time in between. And, 
you know, and I don't want to knock it because I know a lot of great ads, you know, coaches that I just, I don't think I was very good at it. I was, I had a hard time turning my brain off when I went home. I was still thinking about our players and watching their swings on videos and texting them things and, you know, managing 35 players on a roster, managing four recruiting classes. We did a little bit earlier recruiting, so um, making sure I was keeping tabs on all of them and, I would wake up and I would think about it and what I needed to do and what I was missing and just wanted to compete. Didn't want to lose out on recruits. Wanted to make sure our players were getting better. And I just wasn't fully present even when I was home. And so that's when it really hit me. I was like, Hey, I need to, you know, I need to think about making a change here. So, um, yeah, it's a full schedule and people do it and they do it at a great level and they balance both. Um, I just, I wasn't very good at balancing. The recruiting part of that, I think, takes up a lot more time than anybody would anticipate because, and you just said it, you're not just recruiting one class at a time. You know, in a typical, I don't know if it's yep. like this for you, but most places that I was, a typical recruiting class is, you know, 10 to 12 kids, uh, maybe eight in a, in a real small class, but you're just, you're, you're losing kids. You know, we, uh, some of the division ones that I was at, we would have enough junior college players where, you know, you, you'd have you don't just divide 35 by four players and that's who you're recruiting every year. And, uh, yep. you know, different things happen. So that's typical recruiting class, but you're not just balancing one class. You also are, you're recruiting young guys. You are, and once you get them committed, like you, you can't stop there either because if you don't keep communicating, somebody else might reach out to them. And, and before they sign yep. a piece of paper, you know, they, they might call you and say, Hey coach, I decommitted and I'm going to such and such a place. Like that's not, uh, it's not something that's maybe accepted, but it's something that certainly happens. So can you just yep. talk a little bit more about that rather than me telling people about it, just what what the time commitment is day-to-day -day recruiting? Because something else I want people to understand about what it's like to be a college baseball coach is that when you go home at night, you're not done. It doesn't stop. Oh, yeah. It doesn't stop when you, get, when you walk through the door at home. Yep, and I used to, you know, to try to combat that, I would, you know, set some boundaries with my wife. I would get home put my phone in the other room, you know, sit down for dinner and I would go and there'd be 20 to 30 text messages and calls, you know, that, you know, some immediate, some not, but you know, it's always something. And yeah, you're trying to manage it. A lot of players. I mean, it, you know, my philosophy was I wanted to take care of the players on our roster first. You know, those are the guys I recruited and I told I was going to help develop and take care of. So we had 35 guys in a locker room that, are going through the college experience that need things at different times. And so you have those guys to kind of take care of. And then, you know, we had probably 10 to 15 guys in each recruiting class. And so, you know, that's, you know, 40, 40 plus guys either committed, just committed that I was trying to keep tabs on, like you said, to make sure the relationship was being built, make sure they were still getting better making sure they were, you know, getting all their transcripts and everything in that they needed to get in. And that's not to lit, that's not to mention the list of a hundred kids I was still trying to recruit and build relationships with and see if it might be a fit to come play for our program. And it just felt like there was always, there's always something to do. There's always someone to talk to and you're kind of always playing catch up. And I tried to be as organized as possible. I'm kind of OCD with organization stuff. And so, I was always trying to get back to people immediately and be 
in the fr- be on the forefront. I took a lot of pride in getting on guys early because that's ideally how we were going to get guys. You know, I had to get guys committed for you know the power fives um and so you know making those decisions and, and building those relationships early were, were a huge part of our success and so kind of almost racing to, to get to guys first um and early was it was a huge part of of kind of our philosophy and the way we did things and so yeah there's always always someone to talk to always something to do um and you know this is just communication with these players this is not to mention calling their high school coach or calling their travel ball coach or calling the opposing team's coach to do more background and more research and make sure they're the right kid. And this is doing this on a daily basis for, for hundreds and hundreds of kids. And, um, yeah, it's an ever evolving ongoing process. Definitely a lot of work. And there's why, you know, some recruiters are are more successful than others. And, um, I get the guys that, that just want to shut it down for a few days too. You know, it's like, I, I completely get it. Um, you know, I should have took the philosophy that these people aren't going anywhere and they'll be there. Um, and like I said, I was just, I wasn't very good at it, but you know, I felt like I needed to be on it in the forefront of it. I think it's how a lot of, a lot of the successful young recruiting coordinators are. I, I think they're that way. I think that from just from my conversations and thankfully through figured out baseball, I've gotten a chance to talk to guys in all sorts of, uh, walks of the coaching world, guys that have been doing it for two years, guys that have been doing it for 20 years and longer. And, and it seems like the more mature guys have a have figured something out where they, they can balance it a little better because I was a lot like you as a young recruiting coordinator. I felt like I constantly needed to be out, constantly needed to be talking with people, needed to outwork people, needed to see more kids than everybody else did. And, uh, and I also just wasn't very good at, uh, yeah. at balancing – uh, trying to be the best possible recruiting coordinator with the other stuff I also wanted to be good at. Could you also talk a little bit, Joe, just about what it, what the time away from home looks like? Another aspect that I don't know that, that people grasp. And I think these, these conversations are important to have for, for multiple reasons. I'm not trying to bash the profession. I think it's a wonderful profession. Uh, it was uh, a, a very, very enjoyable time of my life. Um, I, I believe there will come a day when I am a college baseball coach again in, in some capacity at some level, uh, but it's just, you know, it's not right right now. But I want to talk about it for multiple reasons. I want families to understand what coaches go through and maybe have a better un, a better appreciation. Um, I'd like, you know, a young guy who thinks he might want to coach someday to, to hear about it. And, of course, there's a lot of really great things. We're talking primarily now about reasons you decided to leave, but there's certainly a lot of really great things about it. I don't, again, I don't want to just say the profession is uh, is torturous. It's really a, a great amount of fun. But I want to just talk right. about things that that people that haven't experienced it just kind of give them a better idea. Could you talk a little bit about the time away from home, whether it's from recruiting, uh, ob- you know, obviously playing things like that, but just maybe how much time exactly you know, typically you spent away from home in different times of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And they reiterate kind of what you just said. It, it's an absolute blast. And that's why it's addicting. And when you're out recruiting and you're talking with other guys on the field with your players, that that's like Disneyland for me and for coaches. That is the unbelievable part. You know, and, you know what I'm kind of talking about is just outweighing kind of what I was going through at home. So just wanted to reiterate that for sure. But yeah, I mean, there's always, like I said, there's always something to go to. There's always an event, always a game, there's always a tournament, a showcase uh, to be at, and those aren't in your living room, you know. So it's it's on the road, you're out, 
Uh, I was actually in a situation at, at San Diego State where San Diego is a, a major city and it's a huge talent hotbed and there's a ton of players here and a lot of people come in here to recruit. So honestly, I was probably on the road less than a lot of programs. You know, these programs that are in these little small towns in the middle of nowhere, they're probably on the road a lot. But you're, you're still leaving to go to games. I was just probably in a hotel a lot less. Um, but, you know, for me, it was a lot of tournaments in Arizona. I probably went to Arizona five to six times a year um, for weekends uh, during the summer and the fall. A lot of drives up to Orange County, L.A., which is multiple hours, um, sometimes staying up there. And then you have the season where, you know, if you're at home for the weekend, you know, the 6 o'clock game, you're still in the office in the morning and you're getting home, you know, close to midnight. You know, and then in the day games, you're, you're gone all day. A trip, and you practice there that day. You play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you're back again. You know, sometimes as late as midnight or after midnight on Sunday night, depending on where you travel from, and then you're back in the office again on Monday. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of travel involved. Obviously, you got to go to where the other schools are to play, where the games and the tournaments are. And you got to see guys. I mean, there's some programs that will recruit off video or word of mouth. Um, I like to see guys in person as much as possible. And, you know, with COVID, that changed things a little bit when you weren't allowed to. But for the most part, we saw every single guy we were bringing in uh, at some point. And that's different at different levels. It's different depending on where you're coaching. Um I had the opportunity to coach at a junior college around Raleigh, North Carolina, and there's a group there that, that runs, uh, I, I don't know if they still, I assume they still do, but they ran what are called impact tournaments, and there were tournaments almost all summer, and they would be um, kind of spread out throughout a region, but like I could recruit around Raleigh, it seemed, almost every weekend, and see guys from all over the East Coast because there were teams from, you know, from, from all over the place up to like New York all the way, obviously, into uh, North Carolina, South Carolina that were coming to play in these tournaments. So kind of in that, within a couple of hours of Raleigh, I was able to, in, in like the USA complex is, is in that area. Um, there are a lot of major Division One schools there that have their own events or, or like they run impact tournaments at those places. You know, that was a much different recruiting area than when I was at Moorhead State in Kentucky, um, where we had to travel a long way to get anybody because when I got there, we couldn't recruit locally because there were a lot of division one programs around and they were all, they all had a better, better name than us. So if a kid had heard of us, you know, he had probably five, six, seven, ten other schools that were ahead of us on the list. So we had to go further out and get high school kids that weren't that familiar with us where they could just kind of learn what we told them as opposed to, you know, already having a preconceived idea, junior college, we recruited a lot of junior college guys and there were, there were, uh, there were probably two junior college programs within about five hours of our campus because there's no junior college baseball in Kentucky um, and very limited junior college baseball in Ohio and Indiana and um, and even West Virginia and Pennsylvania. So, you know, that was a much different recruiting experience. Obviously, just for someone, again, listening to this that, that might be interested, it's different in different parts of the country. It's different at different levels. It's different depending on whether you're in a city where a lot of kids from all over different regions come to you, or if you're in an area where you're going to have to go out uh, to, to find tournaments and find games. But it's, um, you know, it's a very demanding life, and it's a very it's a lot of fun uh, as long as you can do it. And I certainly commend the coaches that are able to balance work and home life and be a great dad and be a great coach or be a great mom and, and be a great coach for softball coaches out there. And 
Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it, a lot of guys, I think, get to a point like you where they just they decide that they need to make a change for one reason or another. Um, when you finally had the conversation, Joe, with your head coach and the other coaches on staff and even the players, can, can you do you mind just kind of recounting the message that you gave them and, um, you know, just just what what ultimately the reasons that you gave them for making the decision were? Yeah, I mean, that was that was difficult. Um, you know, Coach Mark Martinez at San Diego State is a, a dear friend and, you know, I was extremely loyal to him. Uh, multiple opportunities to leave, but, you know, just enjoyed working for him and just appreciated the opportunity that he gave me. You know, he was an assistant coach for 25 years and his first opportunity to be head coach, he me as a rookie. And I was 25 years old with one year of coaching experience at the time. So just looking back, like the fact that he did that, he could have gone and got out and got a lot of guys for that role, but, um, you know, gave me an opportunity. And so, um, was very loyal to him and appreciated, you know, him for that. And so, yeah, I mean, I had kind of given him a, a heads up that I was thinking about it and then, you know, went out and still for another you know, had some phone conversations and he was great. No pressure. He was like, you know, really, obviously it's a gigantic decision and I want you to stay. Um, but like just really think it through. And so I ended up kind of just waking up a few weeks after the season and just, it just felt right. And so I asked him to kind of meet at the office and we sat down and kind of told him, you know, I was going to, going to leave and just, just because I wanted to be around and, you know, be a dad and, um, you know, at that point we had found out we had number two on the way and, and it was just, it, it ate at me just kind of thinking about not, not being completely present and, and being there, not, not just being away from home, but just being at home and, and not being able to, to be there for them completely. And so he understood and he was awesome. And, um, you know, we, we hugged it out and, um, obviously he was like, I'll help you with whatever you need to do. You always, you know, you're always welcome here for, whatever you need and was, was really great about it. Um, and so, you know, it was funny at the time, like for some, somehow, I don't know how word had gotten out. So people were starting to, to text me and him. And, and so I was like, my, my biggest thing is I want to tell our players and our recruits first. So, um, he kind of had set out an email just to make sure that they knew and they heard it from him first. I didn't want them to hear from social media or another source. That was really important to me. And so, and, that was a really hard part. The players we started calling and, you know, the, the guys that I'd recruited for, for four years and coached for four years, you know, and have a long, deep relationship. And ultimately why you coach is, is for that. And so that, that was really difficult to kind of field those phone calls and explain to them, but they were all awesome and supportive and understood. And, uh, um, you know, the great part is where I'm not leaving San Diego still, you know, I'll still be around for, for kind of whatever that needs. So I think that was a little comforting for some guys and, um, you know, calling the recruits and, you know, my goal was to, to try to keep all of them in place. And I wanted them, you know, you know, a lot of it was our, my relationship with them, but, you know, they ultimately decided to, to commit to San Diego State and to Coach Martinez. So it was really important for me to leave the program in a better place than I found it. And so it was really important for me for those guys to stay committed and so I worked really hard to to make sure that they were doing that a couple guys did decide to decommit and go to other places but um, for the most part there's still a lot of really talented kids that are are still set on going to San Diego State but a lot of those conversations were were difficult as well and 
you know, the, the players that I promised I would see through and develop and, you know, was having to shift gears. But everybody was really understanding and appreciative. Um, but definitely a very difficult couple of days kind of having conversations. Did you ever think, Joe, when you when you first started toying with leaving coaching, did it cross your mind to go to a different level that might not be as demanding? Uh, maybe get like a Division three head coaching job that has limitations on games, limitations on fall practice. The recruiting timeline is far, far different. And in the recruiting, I think the demand of recruiting is far different at that level. Um, did, did that cross your mind at all? Or did you, um, when you first started thinking about it, was, was consulting sort of always the, I guess, what you had felt like this might be this might be a good thing for me to do just just curious what your thought process was when you decided to leave and what else you might do yeah no i for sure thought about it and you know i talked to some some d2 coaches some jc coaches and i you know the jc head jobs might be the best jobs in the business you know those those jobs are awesome but those are very hard to come by and um, you know a big factor in the decision too was was not moving my wife and i are both from san diego um, we both have big families and a lot of people around us and we bought, just bought a sweet house that we want to, you know, put our roots down into. So, you know, moving for a head job or, uh, you know, so-called bigger or paying job, but really in the car. So we really wanted to, to put our roots here, um, make sure we were going to raise our kids around family. And so, you know, there's only so many opportunities, you know, within, within our region. And so, yeah, explored a few of them. Um, definitely something I had thought about. Um, and I, you know, I think those are some great jobs and there's high level baseball at D2 schools and some JCs that I think I would really enjoy. Um, you know, I just thought maybe having to move for some of those would, would have had to happen. I just, you know, and I didn't want to do that. So, you know, really wanted to be rooted here. And, you know, a big part was the schedule. So I kind of wanted to make my own schedule and have that flexibility. And so, you know, running my own business, um, just kind of kept coming to the forefront. And it's something I thought about last year with COVID, with the dead period, and I wasn't sure if, you know, as assistant coach, you're, you're on a year-to-year contract. So I wasn't sure if we were going to have a season or a job anymore. So I sort of kind of created this backup plan because I didn't know if D2s or JCs were going to have seasons or jobs either. And so I needed to, to have something in place and um, sort of kind of started thinking of it last year and then um, kind of over time added to it, changed things, and then, you know, ultimately decided to put it into motion. Yeah, I know that some other guys kind of had similar thoughts. I know that there was one guy that I kept in touch with, um, one college coach that, that got his real estate license during COVID because yeah. he's like, I don't yeah. know if I'm going to have a job, so yeah. I need to figure something else out because obviously even if COVID had been extended, like they might not have been able to pay coaches for another year if there, if there wasn't going to be baseball yeah. or, or like football program. A lot of schools like yeah. football, basketball are, are where a lot of the money comes from for the entire athletic department. And, and if they were going to go another season without those money-making sports um, or like fundraising opportunities or whatever, then they might, those yeah. guys might've been in trouble. Um, yeah. And I was actually put on a six month contract, believe it or not. So wow. they, you know, July 1st, I was given a six month contract. That was up December 31st because they straight up told us if we don't have a season in January, the school president is not going to pay you guys because there's nothing to pay you for. And so, and then I don't think I was told till, you know, middle of December that the contract was going to be renewed for January 1st. So I was panic <laughs> mode from November. You know, I started asking October, are we going to get renewed? Are we going to get renewed? So that's when I really was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to provide? I have a 
kid, you know, another one on the way, like, what's, you know, what am I going to do here? So that's when I really started to, to put this plan together, and, you know, obviously did it after the season. So I think people that are listening to this would like to know, Joe, once you once you decided to, you made the final decision to leave San Diego State and you started the Oliveira Baseball Consulting Company, um, how'd you get it off the ground? I mean, just, I think it's a, that's a question that probably a lot of people that start up businesses want to know. And I maybe yeah. don't want to give away some secrets, but, uh, but I think people are probably curious just to know how you, how you get something like that going. Um, you know, how you get in touch with, with kids that, that you can start working with. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think there's any secrets, you know, people were very helpful with me and I want to help anybody and everybody. So I'm happy to discuss, you know, with anybody of how to do it. So, um, you know, for me, I just felt like I worked really hard on the other side of it to, to build a network. Cause that's really what recruiting is. So high school coaches, travel coaches, agents, advisors, other guys that do this. Um, you know, I think I developed some genuine friendships and, you know, treated people right. And so really just started to spread the word, you know, word of mouth, um, to kind of get it going a little bit and, you know, got a couple of clients on. And then, you know, once, you kind of do that and you treat kids right and you're really working for them. I think, you know, word kind of spreads a little bit and you get referrals and then, you know, people start reaching out and, um, kind of snowballs, obviously social media helps, you know, I, I didn't want to just solely rely on that, but I think it's a resource to, to spread the word a little bit, not only just for my business, but to spread the word about kids. So more coaches can see them and, you know, spread the word about who they are, that they exist, where they're playing. And, um, you know, obviously it's a, it's a work in progress and it'll probably evolve. And, um, but I, I think that's just kind of how I got it going a little bit. Um, a lot of time on the phone and text messages and, um, you know, kind of, kind of getting it rolling a little bit. I'd like to know your thoughts just to kind of change gears a little bit about kind of what you do now and, um, maybe some things that, that you, <laughs> some things are a little different now that you're on this side of the table. I'm curious that you, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you guys would work several years in advance recruiting wise. And, and, and you were trying to see a lot of young players even before like power fives did and, and trying to get kids yep. committed that way. Can I ask you your honest opinion now about what you, how you feel about kids and, and committing early, um, like really early guys, kids that commit as like freshmen and sophomores in high school, even kid, there are kids out there that are committing in like eighth grade before they play their freshman year of high school. Um, and you can be honest if you don't have any issue with it, or if you do, I'd just like to know your thoughts. But I just, I just want to ask about it because I think there'll be people listening to this that um, they feel pressure to commit early. And committing early, that that's defined different by everyone, um, yeah. depending how good of an athlete you are and what level of schools are coming to you. I, I think if you're a Power Five, you know, a, a, I guess an, what would be considered an early commit to a power five is much different than what would be an early commit to a division three or a junior college, uh, you know, D2 NAI have different timelines, but, but for whatever would be considered an early commit, can you talk to me a little bit about um, what you think of that now and, and maybe any advice that you would give kids now that feel like they're being pressured to commit uh, maybe before they're ready, but they're getting pressure. So they feel like they have to make some sort of a decision. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I have some clients that are early commits or going to be early commits and they're, you know, getting offers and getting pressure. And so it's really navigating through it. And I think there's pros and cons to it. And I think it's got to be a really unique situation, a unique kid, a unique talent 
a special talent in order for it to be the right move in the right situation. And I think you have to be mature for your age and really understand kind of who you are and have a really good support system and understand what you're looking for, for it to be the right situation. And there, there are those kids out there and I have some clients who are those kids and the, the questions that they come, them and their parents come up with make me realize that they really do get it. And I think they're going to make a really good educated decision. Um, so you know, if you know so-called what your dream school is and check all the boxes for you and the relationship with the coaches is real, and there's a history of them treating players right and developing kids at a high level, and it's everything that you're looking for, I think it's beneficial to commit because now you can just focus on development. You can focus on getting better, understanding what you need to do to contribute to that program. Once you step on campus, you can line up your academics accordingly and – you know, you can kind of shift gears on what you're doing. Um, you can plan financially. You, you kind of know exactly what you're getting into. You can integrate yourself into the program by going to camps when you're able to September 1st, get into the dugout and understand kind of what you're getting into. Um, if you're not, if you're committing without checking all the boxes, I think it can be a huge negative. I think it's just, you're, you're just kind of taking a flyer, and I think a lot of kids are doing it just sort of for that Twitter moment just to commit because they maybe they feel pressure around them or this recruiting coordinator who is an unbelievable talker and salesman is kind of convincing them to do it um, when maybe they have some doubts. Um, you know, I think it can be a negative situation, and that's when, you know, it leads to some decommits or, you know, cutting the scholarship later or, you know, just a, a poor situation where you don't kind of end up going there. Um, and so, it, uh, yes, the answer, there's pros and cons of both. Um, I support it when it's the right decision, the right family, the right kid, um, and they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and, you know, I, I always like kids too. You know, I didn't like it when I was trying to get them to commit, but I always like kids that showed confidence. Like, I don't, I don't need to commit now. I know I'm good. I know other schools are going to want me. And so I'm going to take my time and, you know, see what kind of player I, I become over the next six months to a year. And maybe in the, during that time, I'll understand kind of more of what I'm looking for. You know, some poor programs might come to the forefront. You know, it's, usually it's the team that won it last that's everybody wants, you know, or the team that just won. But what's their program look next year after they lost everybody, you know? And so kind of understand what you're getting into. Um, and, they, you know, a big thing is, too, is, is, is coaches leave uh, all the time. And so understanding – the coach's contract situation, uh, you know, the stability of him, the assistant coach that you developed your relationship with, is he going to be there? Or is he going to be searching? And, you know, that's why I kind of help my clients with as well. I have those so-called tougher conversations and just call these guys, which a lot of know personally, like, dude, what's your plan? Like, you're going to be there. What, what jobs would you leave for? And, you know, are you going to be there when this player shows up uh, on campus? So, it's really all encompassing and you really do have to check all the boxes before making that decision. And I'm, I'm, so I'm trying to help all my clients with. It's great advice and a really good perspective. Are there other things, Joe, right now that you would tell players, I'm sorry, that you would tell your clients that maybe you wouldn't have said to somebody two years ago, just because now you're not, you're not being, you know, you're not under contract. You're not being paid by a college. No, there's anything like major yeah. secrets, but to hold yeah. back, but are there any conversations you're having now that, that you feel like you probably wouldn't have had with just, uh, you know, a, a, some kid that you were having a conversation with or, or some parents you're having a conversation with maybe two years ago? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, my situation before, I was just trying to get guys to come to San Diego State, so that's where my mindset was. I probably had blinders on at times, and I really believed in the program and the school and what I was doing, and I didn't really understand at times they may, may not have been the best fit for some kids. So now, like, I'm wide open. I'm not loyal to any school or program. It's really just about finding the right fit where you're going to have a great three- and four-year experience and you're going to be treated well by the coaching staff. It's a place you want to go to school and you can see yourself going without baseball. It checks all the boxes academically, financially, socially, location. Um, and I don't think you should have to sacrifice any of those in making a decision you know there's there's all kinds of great programs at different levels that develop guys and pro scouts are really good and they're getting better and you know if you're talented enough to play professional baseball i i think as long as you're going and the coaches are going to develop you the, the pro scouts are going to find you and so really checking all the boxes on the other side of it and then kind of making sure the baseball side you're going to have an opportunity to play and it's the coaches you want to be around and that they're going to have their investment, invest their time into you to develop you um, is where, you know, these kids end up going. And so these are the same conversations I'm having with clients and parents is, you know, making sure we're doing our due diligence to, to make sure we're thinking of every possible situation before the ultimate decision is being made. Um, and so instead of being convinced or pressured into something, making sure, you know, every box is checked and it's the right fit. I know that your consulting right now is with high school players, but if a young coach listened to this podcast and was kind of like, Oh crap, I, that might be me in five years, but I'd like to, I'd like to talk with Joe and just find out if there are some things I can do. Um, maybe to prepare for life. Like when people, when you start having kids, to, to be able to stay in coaching. If you consulted that person, Joe, if you had a young yeah. coach call you and ask for some advice um, and, and just somebody that said like, hey, I care a lot about my family. I want to be a great dad. When I start having kids, that's a couple years down the road. Maybe it's somebody who's married, but he, you know, the, the, the couple is not ready to have kids yet or whatever. But if someone said to you, like, what are some steps that I should take to kind of prepare for uh, coaching with kids and being able to balance both now that, I mean, you've, you've had a very little time to think about it. Maybe this would be a better question to ask you five years from now, but um, do you have any advice that you would give that young coach who maybe just wants to, um, wants to be able to, to continue coaching at, at the highest level that they can, but also wants to stay focused on family. Do you have any advice or have any thoughts that you might share with somebody in that who's trying to, again, trying to prepare just like your, your kids right now are trying to prepare for playing in college. That might be a couple of years down the road. Do you have anybody that yeah. might be preparing for the situation that you just went through over the last couple of years? You know, it's funny you brought that up because I've actually been thinking about in the world, I want to help young that, that want to move that are hungry, are good dudes and want to work hard and really help kids. I want to help them, you know, Move, move their careers forward and I'm talking to all these coaches regularly all over the country head coaches assistant coaches you know even some ADs here and there and I, I just want to help genuine good people move up so any, if I can help anybody and advocate for them and connect them with anybody I, I would love to do that um, you know but to answer your question about kind of how to manage it moving forward and, you know my biggest advice would be you know to really manage their time and priorities and allocate time for certain things. And, 
you know, don't be afraid to, to put their phone away for certain hours of the day, you know, and put it in the other room for family dinners and, you know, those things, you know, they'll still be there when you get to it. Obviously there's immediate things that need your attention, but, um, nothing's going to burn down. And I think for me, I started as a, a young single guy, you know, before I started dating my wife and I was just go, go, go. And it was really hard for me to transition into, you know, husband and father. And I, and I was able to do those things, but not good enough. And so I think creating those habits early where you're still doing your job at a high level and still making time for, for family and, and personal time. And I think it can be done and, and people do do it. I would just, you know, focus on and, and really recommend creating those habits early um, in their coaching careers. This isn't necessarily something I intended to talk about, but I think it's, it's something we should talk about maybe for the next few minutes as we kind of wrap this up. Do you think that's a question that someone should ask when they're interviewing? Just say a guy's looking for the next job, looking to move up, because we all know in the college baseball world, you know, you're you were probably a rarity having stayed at at, uh, at one place for eight years. Most assistants move on in, in less time than that because they're either looking for something that's better paying, they're looking for something with more responsibility or at a higher level or whatever. Um, do you think that's something that, that people should ask during an interview? Uh, and, and if so, maybe how, how exactly do you ask that to a head coach just as far as, you know, am I going to, are you going to expect me to be working 24, seven, seven, you know, 24, seven, 365 days a year, or, you know, is it going to be okay if I have, if I take some time for my family, I, I don't know how exactly to ask that without yeah. giving the wrong impression in an interview. But do you think that's something that, that people that the guys need to ask going into a, a program? Because obviously, if you get into a program that doesn't where the head coach doesn't really prioritize family or, uh, you know, just expects you to be working nonstop, uh, you know, especially if it's a recruiting position. I know there are some schools out there where the head coach, resp you know, expects their recruiting coordinator to be on the road literally every day. Um, are those questions that guys should ask in the interview process if they do have an interview? If if that's something that they can see five years down the line, I, I might start having kids, and this is something you know they want to start preparing for. Yeah, Jeff, that's a phenomenal question. I think it's a really fine line because in that interview process, you want the job and you want to prove that you're going to grind and get after it, and nothing's even getting the way. You know, but the other side, you know, there is that thought in your head about the balance and. I think there is a way to ask it and, you know, we, we've hired assistant coaches or, you know, I was in the interview process a few times that it's, it's common to ask and it's not a turnoff. And, it, and I think if it is a turnoff, they may not be the right guy to work for. You know, I work for somebody where you would say, absolutely, you know, family comes first. Uh, I'm going to put my family first. I expect you to do the same. Um, and I just expect you to do a really good job around that. And I think that, that would probably be the typical answer. You know, if the guy's like, no, this is your, is it the priority number one? This is what you're doing. It's, it's probably not the job you need to take if, you know, you are going to prioritize your family or want to have that balance at some point. So I think it is a question that, that can be asked and should be asked. And I could see some guys being afraid to ask it because they think it's going to be a turnoff. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of great dudes and great head coaches out there that, you know, won't, think anything of that question other than this guy is a good dude and cares about us, you know. Joe, before we wrap this up, is there anything that I didn't ask that you think is important to talk about, whether whether it is with how kind of life was as an assistant coach, 
uh, at the college level, at the Division One level, or whether it's about something that you want to put out there about uh, what you're doing with Oliveira Baseball Consulting, but just anything we didn't touch on that you think is important that you really like to you'd like you'd like to just take a minute to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a few, but the, the thing that's popping into my head is just the baseball network. The... Me, I was blown away. You know, I sent out a tweet kind of announcing my resignation from college coaching. And honestly, my mindset was, and maybe I was, you know, a little bit too humble about it, but I expected people to be more like, oh, he's not calling, coaching college baseball anymore. You know, I'm probably not going to see him again. I don't, you know, whatever. Okay, he's good luck in whatever you do. But I had, I think it was over 200 people reach out from the baseball world, from people I've never even talked to. I'm talking like power five head coaches all across the country to anybody and everybody reach out, first of all, to check in, make sure family was okay and everything and, you know, wish me luck and congratulate me. But it, to me, that just showed how powerful the baseball world was and, and people are just connected. You know, it's it, it, so I, my suggestion is this treat everybody right and with respect because everybody is literally one person away from being connected everywhere in the baseball world. So um, just, you know, being respectful, respecting people's time and treating people right, I think is the, the key to kind of moving up in this business and, and making a career out of it. Really great stuff and a great, great way to wrap this up. This is Joe Oliveira, everybody. He is the owner of Oliveira Baseball Consulting, uh, a longtime college baseball coach who's now transitioned into something different. Joe, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, if they want to reach out to you, if they've enjoyed listening to you and they want to contact you, how what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you just to have a conversation, whether it's about consulting or coaching or anything else? Yeah, and, and again, I would encourage anybody and everybody to reach out. I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Uh, my email is on the social media, OliveraBaseballConsulting at gmail.com. Um, and I'm open to, to text messages and phone calls, too. My number is 619-321-9906. Um, feel free to text, call, email anytime. And, um, you know, would ha be happy to, to talk to anybody about possibly coming on board with a client or a coach um, with advice on how to move up or anything general baseball related, um, I'd be happy to chat. This has been truly great. Joe, thanks for your time, and I want to wish you the best of luck, and, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, connect again in some way and maybe keep you involved with Figured Out Baseball in some way because we're, we're just all about um, giving knowledge to people who need it for whatever reason, and we obviously focus mostly on players, but if there are some things we can do to help coaches as well, we should do that. So I, thank you again for your time and wish you all the best. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you having me on. I think it's great what you're doing with Figured Out Baseball and helping coaches and helping players and families. And um, however I can support, I'd be happy to do so in the future.